should talk to Jay about some headset mics because I see you brought your Bitsenberger jig in here for your uh, preparation for Arizona Cup. And it's going to be really hard for you to hold a microphone and Fletch at the same time. It just is. We're recording? Yes. Oh. (laughs) I was making sound effects to test the mic. Yeah, well, that's okay. It's all part of the show. And then my phone went off. You know, it's been a couple weeks since we've had a show. I've been... I've been traveling. You've been traveling. Yeah, a lot of people have been asking me when the next podcast was about to drop. Isn't that nice? I guess. By a lot of people, I mean like six. That is a lot statistically (laughs) when you consider you're at an event with, what, 2,000 people, something like that? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, so that's that's a heck of a stat. Hi, I'm George Techmanchub here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast. And I don't even remember what number this is, but it doesn't matter. I think we're on 26. It doesn't matter because Jay will plug in whatever number it really is. And yes. It'll work out. Hopefully, he remembers this time to pull out the little dub from the last one because it probably scared a few people off the road. We don't need 24 again. No, or whatever that number was. Was it 24? I think we went with 24 twice. Yeah. Except it wasn't. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Hi, everybody. Thank you for uh, your faithful emails and your patience in waiting for this episode. Uh, I've been at the Asia Cup in uh, Bangkok in 40-degree uh, centigrade weather. You know, it's it's interesting packing for a trip to Bangkok because I always have to go to Japan after that. And so Japan was like, what, I don't know, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, you know, we had a, we had a good uh, almost 50-degree temperature differential there, you know. So 100 degrees in 100 degrees in Thailand and you know 40 45 degrees in Japan so quite the swing and I had to do it with one bag wow yeah I'm a, I'm a professional traveler you were gone like how long how many days almost two weeks yeah so that was that was pretty cool you know I um I saw the coolest thing ever I went to Hamamatsu which is in central Japan anybody that owns a motorcycle their their motorcycle was probably if it's a Japanese motorcycle it was probably built near Hamamatsu. Yamaha's got their big plant there, and Suzuki has their big plant there, and Honda used to build all their motorcycles in Hamamatsu. So, what about Kawasaki? I'm not sure. I used I to work know. at a Kawasaki dealer. I don't ride green bikes. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, I went to this high school, and we'd had a, a seminar. We had six high schools send some of their best shooters for the seminar, and there was fifty something kids there, and it was just awesome. And right next door, there's a kudo ranch. Right, they're they're having their kudo. Uh, thing going on there. All these kids walking around in hakama, you know, the, the traditional Japanese wafku, the, the uniform, you know, the and and they're shooting these kudo bows, you know, and, and uh, going through all the motions. Kudo is a very interesting thing to watch. It's very serene, you know. It's completely different than Western archery. The yes. goal is not to hit the target. The goal is to look you know, cool. Well, that's part of it. I won't argue that. So I walk in there, and somebody spots me, and they go, you're from Easton. And I'm like, um, yeah. And I didn't. I heard this story. I didn't expect this, right? I, <laughs> suddenly, everybody in the dojo drops what they're doing, runs over, and they're like, oh, he's from Easton. And it was like, okay, why? Every single Kudo shooter in Japan uses Easton arrows. We make these meter-long arrows for Kudo, right? But we don't do any marketing, right? We don't do any... Right. There's no marketing in the kudo market that we do for, for that stuff. But they all know they shoot Easton Arrows. And I thought that was so cool. I heard they were bowing down. Yeah, okay, well, that's just normal. But <laughs> No, like hands and knees, bow down. No, 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 no. That was what I heard. No, that was not true. That, that was a Nate Pilcher. That's a Nate Pilcherism, and you know Nate, you know. <laughs> now, Nate does Nate's, Nate's education on, on Japanese culture is basically the Larry David show, right? And the... 
the type of bow, right? <laughs> whether whether you're getting a full bow or a less lesser than, bow, lesser bow, right? There was a whole episode on that. You can look it up. Just look up Larry David and Japanese bow and that'll, see what yeah. comes up. That'll that'll solve your problem on YouTube. All right. Anyways, because um, there's language used that we just don't use on our podcast because we haven't flipped the explicit switch on iTunes. Oh. By the I way, didn't, uh, I didn't you, know there was an explicit switch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're, if you're going to use language on a podcast, iTunes expects you to flag it. Mm. with the, There's a switch, right, for the upload. And, wow. and you can flip on the explicit switch, and, and I'm sure that just about doubles your, your subscribers. <laughs> you know, We'll have to, uh, yeah, read the, the, uh, I adhere, the rules on that one. I adhere to Jeff Cooper, my, uh, my mentor, my, my late mentor, Jeff Cooper, who said that you know the use of obscenity is the mark of a weak mind. So we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so, yeah, the Asia Cup, that was a spectacular. I don't understand why there aren't more people taking advantage of that. It's the first big tournament of the year. It is with, I mean, the whole Russian team was there. The Koreans send a team usually. There's, there's teams from all over Asia and some other countries, and uh, it's a great start to the season, you know, just uh, – and they do a heck of a job putting on the tournament. The best field crew I've ever seen. And the targets are in great shape. And, you know, it's just a really good tournament. So, you know, you find yourself – and it's an open tournament, right? I mean, it's a world ranking event, but it's an open mm-hmm. tournament. So you can go there and, and it's not expensive. You know, Bangkok is uh, is an easy city to get to, relatively speaking, from the standpoint of airline, you know, service. And uh, they pick you up and they take care of you. The, the hotel is within walking distance of the field. So you don't have to brave the you know the traffic, and it's just a, an awesome event. So that's a plug for next year. There we go. It's a long pole down there. I know that much. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I, it's two hours to Seattle for me, right? And then eleven hours to Narita, and then another eight hours to get to Thailand. But when you get there, you kind of forget all that because it's kind of they take good care of you. They're really nice people. Very cool. Some of the nicest people in the world. So you've got Arizona Cup coming up this week, but you've been doing some other stuff, right? You shot a? Did you shoot down in Mexico? No. That was I vacation. A, I shot. I I went to Mexico like I don't know a month ago. I don't even know. I've been gone for a while. Yeah, and then we had, um, yeah, we had uh, ASA in Paris, uh, Paris Texas. Texas. Talk about that. What what was that like? It was uh, it was interesting. The ASAs are always very interesting to me. So now these are all three D shooters. Three D. Yep. And now they're shooting some uh, marked distances, right? They got this K fifty thing going on. Yep. They got a few known classes. So. So now you got some shooters yeah. coming into this that you wouldn't normally see at a 3D tournament? Yeah, you get a few here and there. It's, I heard Jesse's uh, been shooting some of these. Jesse's been shooting Jesse them. Broadwater. Yeah, he had some success in his first one. He won it and then uh, struggled a bit this time around. I struggled a lot this time around till the very end. Got some stuff figured out with my scope and peep combo. And, and you got to know the targets, right? Because oh, the targets aren't marked man, per se. Man, it's brutal. Yeah, there's... The uh, the guys who shoot a lot of 3D, you know, they... They like own the targets, don't they? Yeah, they, the ones who are successful, yeah, you probably own the range and have a good understanding where those scoring Which rings are. Which is like twelve or $13,000 worth of targets in your backyard, right? So, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you uh, wheel you and deal... Ones. Yeah, if you wheel and deal, you can get a, a full range. You purchase it right at the ASA after the tournament's over. Oh, uh, used ones? Yeah, so that's probably the way to do it. And if then, you have like a, a trailer, maybe, to get them home. Yep. But um, it's like Noah's Ark. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. I mean the the I will say the market is completely different than target archery. The participants very much different. So uh, it's good. It's good for me to be there and see how it is and and learn. 
some interesting stuff going on in world archery uh, circles right now. You know, uh, Chris uh, Wells, Wellsy from World Archery, he's been following what's going on with the Korean Olympic trials. Yeah, Mr. O. Yeah, well, you know. Probably out. I don't know. If anybody can fight up to the top three, it is him. But he's uh, halfway through the process, I guess, and he's in sixth. So that's not so great. Yeah, look to me. I don't know how their process works exactly. It's not easy. I'll tell you, it's grueling. He's a number of points. I'm calling him out. I'll put it this way. It used to be that making an Olympic team in the United States was tantamount to winning the Olympic Games. We're talking in the days of Rick McKinney and Daryl Pace, right? And, um, you know, a a lot of you listening to this podcast don't know who I'm talking about, and a lot of you do. Uh, Making the team was harder than winning the Games when Daryl and Rick were at their their peak, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's got to be the truth for the Koreans right now. Making the Korean team has got to be just as tough as winning the Olympic Games. Yep, for sure. And, you know, it's it's hard for the Olympic champion to come back and do it again. Only one guy's ever done that. That happens to be Daryl Pace. So, you know, um, Ojin Hyuk's still a great shooter. But remember, this is the same country that generated a team that didn't have the reigning world champion. Yeah. And didn't have the reigning world record holder. Yeah, you're not safe at they're any so point. They're so good. There's so much depth. It's like there's so many sharks in the water, you cannot let down a little bit. Mm-mm. Yeah, you so. can be the biggest shark and just have uh, some some others get bigger. Now, um, according to Chris's account here, um, basically there's a final selection tournament coming up in the f- top three finishers at that one. So he's going to have to have a, a pretty significant, you know, like you pointed out, he's, he's down in the points. He's He's got half the points of Kim Woo Jin. He's got 10 points less than the third-place guy, who's Kuban Chan. Uh, Lee Seng-yun, Kim Woo-jin, and Kuban Chan. You know what? I'm thinking you're looking at the next Korean Olympic team, potentially. Yep. But that doesn't take anything away from Oh or Im Dong-hyung, who's uh, just out of the uh, out of the cut there. Uh, Kim Jong-ho is out, I guess. And uh, Jong Tae-young, who we haven't seen too many times, is, uh, is also out. But Kim Jong-ho we've seen a few times. And, you know, that just – any country that had that kind of depth – you know, would would be thrilled. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, they could they could probably go twenty deep and place guys anywhere else. You know, it's um, uh, not a big shock to see the recurve women's team is going to be mostly. It looks like the same women that we've been seeing. That you know, the top four are basically the same ones we've been seeing in uh, in a lot of other events over the past year. Got Choi Misun who's in first place right now in the process, and Kibo Bay is second. Kibo Bay, the reigning Olympic champion from London. And then Lee Tuk Young, and uh, right behind her is Park Mi Kyung. Um, you know, there's a lot of good shooters here on this list that Korea has. And, uh, you know, whoever they send is going to be a contender, particularly for the women. I'm missing a call. I'm the winner right now. Oh, no. Not I, now. I'll put, I'll, I'll put money down. I do not put Kibo Bay down for repeat. No, I'm going to do Choi Misun. Choi Misun. I agree with you, mm-hmm. right? So yep. we'll remember this in, what, a couple months when? I'm going on DraftKings right now. All right. I'm placing my bets. Okay, well, I'm not going to discuss the issue of betting because it's <laughs> very severely frowned upon these days in World Archery. Did you know that? I could only assume, <clears throat> yeah. It's never been a problem in our sport, but they're uh, planning a, a, a crackdown of sorts. No, there's not enough money in our sport to justify not throwing a match. Oh, I don't know what to say. You know, guy could uh, guy could make a lot more money betting against himself than he can shooting. That's kind of sad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know what to say. We've got uh, you got Arizona Cup coming up. 
yes this week so uh you're going to be ready for wind right i see you brought in you, i'm looking at your arrows here you shoot next tens what's the story yeah. yeah i got some 325 you cutting the backs off yep you know that um that actually is a good segue you know what i got here oh boy a stack right wow and this time i marked them these are yours and these are mine so stack of listener questions and who one is of them, i no that's an exclamation point that one is for both of us to discuss later. Oh, okay. This is the guy who's alluding to the fact that we were talking about how some top pros have changed bows. <laughs> just, I saved that one for later. We'll discuss that later, maybe. But um, one of the questions, and this is a good one for you right here. This one comes from, here it is. This one comes from Kfir Bahar. And Kfir is asking, as a long-draw compound archer, which is what you are, I find myself with a dilemma. X10 Pro Tours only go up to 380 spine. That's part of the problem. Uh, which calculates as slightly too weak for me. I know some guys cut regular X10s from the back and then use Pro Tour pins. Is that the recommended solution in my case? Also, why don't Pro Tours come in stiffer spines if they're designed for compound? <laughs> so, yeah, first part of that question, what I do is I use a x10 325 i cut three inches off the back and yes i use a pro tour pin has just a slight overhang on the carbon which i actually kind of like it gives it a little extra protection um stiffer pro tours i think we've talked about that a little bit that's all i'll say there um but for now yeah x10s cut from the back it'll work fine so the real wild after all has been using those for a long time yeah he, yeah, I think he's using some regular Pro Tours this time this around. This time around, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, over the set world records with X10s cut yeah. off the back. Generally, he shoots an X10 450 cut from the back. So. Yeah. And he's shooting less weight than, than some folks, and he's got a shorter draw than some folks. Mm-hmm. So that, that works for him. So. Yep. But, yeah, I'm I'm in the camp and a proponent of a, a stiffer Pro Tour. I think it would be cool. Um, is it – worth it by the numbers that we haven't really sat down and determined yet so. yeah well you know it's uh it's technically capable but the problem is that you're running into issues with the mass weight of the arrow you know when you when you get into those stiffer sizes in that design yeah it gets very heavy yeah it does get quite heavy now some guys like that right but you know there's a there's a yeah. point of diminishing return and you know we're currently we're, we're always testing stuff so um what is this Oh yeah, okay. Here we go. This is uh, this is a question that we have from uh, from Robert. Robert is asking, "Dear George and Steve, first of all, I'd like to say how much I'm enjoying the podcast. I'm a new subscriber. Actually, now looking forward to the dreaded Washington D.C. commute while I catch up on all the episodes. Oh, you poor guy driving in Washington D.C. traffic. That can't be fun. Uh, he's a compound archer, lifelong hunter, bitten hard by the target bug recently." I know that indoors, people generally use 27 or 23 diameter shafts, depending on the rules, and as skinny a shaft as possible in outdoor feeder or field. Yep, all correct so far. What about 3D? I know they say wind is not as big a factor, but it is still outdoors up to 50 yards. So what is the verdict? Fat shaft to cut lines? Skinny to buck wind? Something in the middle? It's a good question. Yeah, it is. Um you know, there there's some people right now thinking skinny's the way to go. Um, you know, they say a skinnier, a small diameter arrow of equal weight will shoot a little flatter than a large diameter. Which, if you're shooting unknown, I guess maybe that's a something you'd think about. Um, watching 
all of the winners of the last, you know, of the three ASAs I've been to, I don't think anyone has won one with an arrow 23 size or smaller uh, in the men's open pro or the k50 class so that implies like a super drive 25 class arrow and yeah higher. that's generally that what implies i see line winning. cutters yep 25s are bigger so how windy are these tournaments typically generally not at all because they're windy i mean sorry they're in wooded areas yeah that- you you may see some wind in the in the shoot down round if but that's you're talking k50 and open pro and uh, women's pro classes and senior pro that's the only classes that shoot the shoot down. And, yeah, it's held in an open area so spectators can watch. But for the majority of 3D, wind is pretty much a non-factor. I mean, you know, you got to take into account the area where you shoot and local courses and stuff like that. But by the bulk of it, it's not an issue. Yeah, okay. So, All right. Well, that's I guess that's the answer is yeah. uh, fat winds. Up to up yeah, to, I mean, up to a point. I would have been one, you know, last week thinking, oh, maybe a smaller diameter would be better, but it's been proven to me, you know, three times over by twenty guys that you know, large diameter is still king out in that realm. Well, when there's no wind, and also you've got that whole factor with pulling foam, right? You got to pull the foam, baby. It's a it's a different scoring game too. Yeah. So and it is a game. There is a gamesmanship aspect to scoring. Yep. Second question from Robert um, regarding form. He's a 297 average on the Vegas face, so he's a competent, if not elite, shooter. That's a good way to put it. Pretty competent to shoot 297. When I do miss, it is generally to the right. I'm a right-handed archer. Do you have any suggestion as to what could be causing this? Um, draw length, potentially. You know, that can oftentimes be an issue. I, I, I would think that a little bit long of a draw length may be the problem here. You know, you're a little overextended with the front arm, and um, I, I generally see a left miss from a, a short draw length. So, what about uh, pulling too far into your face, getting too much meat on the string? Yeah, that can you know that's that I would think would create inconsistent misses, but it's uh, it's something certainly to look at. That should be something you look at in just your basic fundamentals too. So. What about centering up the peep properly? You think that could be an issue? Um, potentially, you know. it, uh, And then canting of the bow. Robert doesn't mention this, but what if you shoot glasses? You know, if you have glasses on, maybe that can distort the image in the, mm-hmm. in the peep. Yeah, all those things. My, my first thought is maybe too long of a draw length, but that's not always the case. I mean, that or, or canting the bow. A lot of people, they run the sidebar in so close that, without realizing it as they're executing the shot they end up turning the bow over just a little bit to the right and that can lead to a miss does that mean that they're not looking at their bubble probably not you know it's hard to look at the bubble and you know do your thing and aim and execute and all that so what what i've noticed is i tend to cant the bow to the right you know throughout the shot process as the pressure builds and you're coming through the release yep so so canting to the right is obviously going to send the arrow right yeah, he did mention he was a right-handed shooter, right? I don't remember. Um, sorry, I threw the paper mention. over your way there, but that's a different one. The, anyway, the point is that I think he's a right-handed shooter, and I believe that if that's the case, then, yeah, what you're describing is. All right, so that's a couple of things to think about. Yeah, something else, uh, you know, if you do find it to be a bubble issue, maybe try just keeping an eye on that as, you know, before shot breaks, have someone watch you and, and see if it, 
does turn over to the side you may need to just find out you kick out your sidebar a little more to to counter that i'd rather have to fight my bow to keep it from falling left than try to pull it over to the right you know the way your hand enters the grip gives you a natural tendency to want to fight the the bow leaning left but it's very hard to prevent it from going right so Mm -hmm. something to think about there okay got a fairly complicated question here from uh, bob who's asking about a recurve tuning problem that he's got uh, and he really enjoys the show. Thank you, Bob. Um, so his tuning question, he's got a clearance issue with the back of the arrow. He's getting little dashes from the plunger to the knock end, and he cannot figure out how to stop the back of the arrow from hitting the plunger multiple times. He looked on the Internet for a solution. All he found was a reference that marks on the back of the arrow are very difficult to fix because the Internet doesn't know what it's talking about. So, No, the Internet never lies. <clears throat> never. So anyway, Bob, um, you know, without going into the nitty-gritty details... Usually, when you see multiple hits on the back of the arrow, it's a weak arrow. And uh, you can even get it to bear shaft tune okay. But what's happening is you get a little double hit kind of thing going on. Uh, and it sort of straightens out the arrow as it's leaving the bow. Um, looking at your specs and looking into the arrows that you've chosen, um, I'm going to tell you that I think you're dealing with a weak setup here. Okay? And um, we'll leave it at that for now. It seems to me that. Um, the only thing you can really try right now is turn your bow down a couple of turns, okay? And if it solves the problem, then you know. Then you know. That's it's the easiest way. That's yeah. the easiest, free, fastest too. way, and it's free. You don't have to go yep. buy something. You don't have to, you know, pound your keyboard on the internet. You can turn the bow down. And if it's uh, if we're right, and I suspect we may be, then you're going to find that that clears it up. And when it does, then either you, then you got a choice. You shoot your original weight or you shoot the lighter weight, as most people should. So, you know, last weekend, Braden Gillantine came in, stayed at my house, and he wanted to get his bow set up for outdoors. So we spent some time at the Easton Center, and he, uh, that was, I was really, it made me proud to see that a top-level archer took his setup and went, okay, I'm just going to turn the weight and see what happens, you know. He wasn't going, well, I shoot 58 pounds, so I'm not touching that. No, Braden's a pragmatic guy. Yeah, he, he turned, just dropped the bow five, four or five pounds and went, yep, that works a lot better. Okay, cool. We got him into some stiffer arrows. He got his bow weight back up. Um, Notice it was still slightly weak, cut another three-quarters inch off, golden, good to go. And he shot like a seven, I don't remember what he shot. He shot something like 40 X's at versus, so that's really good. Is Rio Wild shooting a stiffer arrow right now? Yeah, I think he's got a Pro Tour 380. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm asking because I remember I, I, I expedited his order yesterday because you were out. Right. And he was able to pick – he was at the Archery Center training, and uh, so he wanted to pick him up before he went back to Pocatello. And I, I was like, 380s, that doesn't sound right for Rio. So he's yeah. shooting a stiffer arrow. You think he upped his weight or what's no, up? No, he's always been around 58 pounds, so he can't go up yeah. at all. I, I don't know, maybe – I couldn't tell you. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that works. He's going to Arizona Cup too, so we'll. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, everybody's there. Got a question from our friend Sammy Antila in uh, in uh, Finland, and Sammy asks. Uh, he says some nice stuff about the podcast, of course, and that's very nice of him. Uh, I'm wondering if I can use stiffer aluminum arrows than recommended by the Target Arrow Selection Chart with heavier points. Do I run into any problems? Uh, group T8 arrows tuned fine. And um, he wants to try something bigger, okay, basically. And the answer, uh, Sammy, is aluminum arrows really are very responsive 
to point weight changes. They yeah. they really will reward you if you have a too stiff condition and you need to add point weight, you will get the result you're looking for. Carbon, not so Carbon, much. not so much. So I have my hunches on that. We've talked about it. Now, this last part I'm going to leave to you. Would I suffer with heavier arrows? And there are some other problems with that kind of approach. Now, he's a recurve shooter. But um, will I suffer with heavier arrows? I... I personally think the quicker the, the arrow gets out of the bow, the better. I mean, it's a lock time thing. You know, if you're perfectly still and consistently making shots while you're aiming great, probably not a huge issue. But, you know, if your aim is not always perfect and you're constantly working back towards the middle, you know, the lock time can hurt you. So, you know, and uh, – good friend of ours Sergio Pagni mentions that he likes an arrow that gets out of the bow faster that's why he's been shooting eastern carbon arrows he shoots carbon arrows save a little weight there and and uh, well you know 2014 indoor world champion 2016 Vegas champion I'll put it this way the the better your form the more you can get away with with a heavier arrow but if Mm -hmm. you've got a few things going on within reason a lighter arrow might serve you better yeah Uh, and that's not to say that going as light as possible is the way to go. No, but. particularly with aluminum. I mean, you know, I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're, there's a there's a durability versus speed thing going on there. You get into a 12 wall and lighter than that, and yeah, yeah, maybe you don't want, especially if you're shooting Stramit. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, foam bales are fine. Yeah, absolutely. Foam bales are fine. Modern bales. Modern bales. Like 20th century, not even 21st century. <laughs> um, Trey sends us this message, <clears throat> and I'm going to let you read this one. All right, Trey. Curious to hear your thoughts on spine aligning arrows. Does the orientation of the spine of the arrow really matter? If so, why don't more arrow manufacturers offer arrows with spine alignment marks on the shaft? What are your preferred methods for determining spine alignment? Uh, Yada, yada. Golf industry is taking extreme measures of golf shafts with flow testing, frequency testing, and shaft peering. Why isn't the archery industry moved in this direction? Can we play the same techniques, equipment to the arrow shafts? Okay, so I'm going to be snarky about this one slightly it's a band-aid if you need to spine align your arrows your arrows have a problem yes it's really easy to hit you know say we're looking for a a 400 spine arrow well we'll find four you know we 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 attempt to build a 400 spine arrow um and in your spine aligned arrow maybe maybe it's 400 right there right that's where it's 400 and then you turn it 90 degrees and maybe it's 390 turn another 90 degrees maybe it's 380 you know, then it goes back 390. So ideally, it's 400 spine all the way around. There is no reason and to that's spine why line. When we build arrows here at Easton, we have a SAS spec. SAS stands for spine around shaft. And that means that the arrow has to meet the spec 360 degrees around the arrow. Yep. So, so some companies in the past, uh, and we're talking all the way back to the 1980s, um, the defunct company AFC, they used to sell an arrow with a line down the down the thing, and that was the high side. That was the stiff side of the arrow. Right. My contention is if the arrow has a stiff side, it's screwed up. Yeah. Now, we all know that in golf, well, <laughs> we all know. How do I say such a thing? Many people may know <laughs> that in golf, <laughs> golf shafts commonly have what's called a spline, S-P-L-I-N-E. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they use what they call a spline, S-P-L-I-N-E, finder, which is basically a a tube with a couple of bearings and you stick the golf shaft in there and then you flex it and it makes the air, the golf shaft spin to the weak side. Okay. All right. Now, 
a company called Century Design down in San Diego, run by a good friend of mine. They make a, a machine that you stick the golf shaft into, and it vibrates the golf shaft, and it finds... Gives you a frequency. Finds the high side and the frequency. Arrow shafts should not have a high side. And the, all the frequencies in a dozen arrows should match. Right. So... A golf shaft stays... You know, it, it's... Uh, return to address in the same position ideally as it was you know originally mm -hmm. addressed so it's really no issue if your golf shafts are not spine aligned and you know, i follow golf closely and i know a lot of the the top players they they do a, a puring of the shafts they've had them pured by a company called pure and uh you know a, a number of other people top level instructors say no it doesn't really matter you know this you're, is you're more you're better off and I'm getting into the weeds on golf here, but you're better off MOI matching your, your golf clubs than you are puring them or spine aligning them. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Well, there's always somebody looking to come up with a method to um, separate you from your dead presidents in your wallet. <laughs> Got to make the Hamiltons, baby. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, you know, um, again, if the arrow needs spine alignment, get yourself arrows that don't. <laughs> yes. It's a great you know. marketing tool, you know? Yeah. And some guys, I mean, you know, I know guys that swear by floating them in the bathtub. And, you know, um, until you ask hard questions like, well, what kind of plugs are you using and how are those oriented? Yeah. And, how are those balanced and yada, uh, yada. And you know what? The, the interesting thing is the, the Brady's of the world, they just take a dozen arrows out of the tube, fletch them up, shoot them. Yeah. My, my approach on that is you're better off bear shafting each arrow through paper and rotating your knocks that way. Yeah. Rotate your knocks from there to figure out, you know, if there are any discrepancies. Yeah, see what it's doing dynamically. Um, you know, and then you can also just cut all the corners and just shoot each arrow. And mm -hmm. if you find one that's not grouping with the rest, chances are you turn the knock so that the, the next vein is, is your index vein and you're probably going to be fine. You know, you're going to find one of them that works for sure. I, I can't say with any... You know, high-quality arrows, I've ever had issues getting a full dozen to hit. You know, especially anything aluminum core. So what do we got coming up that uh, that that you're prepping for? You, you had to scramble to get your visa for Shanghai. Is that all working out? I don't have it yet. No, it's not working out. But I will, I'll probably be okay. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Because so, I know who's working on it. Yeah. Thanks so to you're, the... The lovely Kelly Taylor at Hoyt. I'll probably have probably my Probably the world's finest executive assistant. Yeah, she's I will awesome. say that. <laughs> she really is. She's so awesome. Just, just when I worked at Hoyt, she took care of all my travel, and I didn't realize how good I had it till I till I came over here. <laughs> See, and I like booking my own travel. I don't. That's my thing. I don't. I, I, I like leaving it up to a really good travel <laughs> professional. I if I that. book it, I can't complain. <clears throat> but once I get a good travel professional trained, I don't want to change, right? Because yeah. they know which side of the plane I want. They know whether I want a aisle seat or a, a bulkhead seat. Yes. They, you know, they know all the tricks for trying to get me an upgrade. And it's like I just I I don't want to mess with it. Nate know? Nate gets upset with me because I book like he calls them farmers flights. You know, we're always flying out of here at like six thirty, so we got to be at the airport at four thirty, and he gets kind of upset with that. But that's all right. Yeah, I had to fly out of Bangkok and leave for the uh, airport at two thirty in the morning, so I'm not. Ugh. Yeah. That was just me because it's one flight. It's Delta. I flew Delta right to Japan, and as a result, you know, I was kind of locked into that. Uh, mm -hmm. I had dinner with the president of World Archery there uh, the night before, and he had a flight out at ten thirty in the morning. 
Wow. Because he's the boss. <laughs> That'd be nice. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Dr. Erdner <laughs> came out for the... Uh, who came out fly- for the... Uh, How many people were on that plane? Well, <laughs> I'm sure it was a full plane. <laughs> of seats. I'm sure it was a full plane. You know, he's he's a powerful man, but I don't think he gets his own airplane. Not all the time, anyway. Not all the time, anyway. Yeah, well, all right. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very cool to have uh, that kind of participation by somebody who's, you know, really moving up the chain in the IOC and you know, still being completely immersed in our sport. We're so lucky to have that kind of a, a world archery president these days. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, I think that uh, you have, with Arizona Cup coming up, any predictions? No. No. Because the wind is going to be. Yeah, you never I'll know. I'll predict this. It's going to be windy. Uh, yeah, we can just count on that. So it, uh, you know, the last couple years, it's been. Let's see. The last couple years, the number one seed has been knocked out in like the second round. You know, the the brackets can really get screwed up. You know, last year, I think Rio was number one and PJ was sixteen, or Rio was two and PJ was fifteen, something like that. How's the turnout looking this year? Uh, like six hundred people. That's pretty solid. So, yeah, it's a lot of noobs. It's full. Yep, but uh, but you know, you it's never interesting. know. You never know what's going to happen here. You know, it's a big turnout. It's a huge event. And it's maybe one of the worst facilities from the standpoint of, you know, having anything nearby. And, I mean, you're shooting on a caliche field. It's yeah. windy. It's hot. It's dry. It's, uh, you know, there's a firearms range right next door. <clears throat> it's not ideal. Thank goodness they run a good tournament. They do run a know, good tournament. Generally. Yeah. Um, but, but, USA Archery likes to pick places that are unfavorable conditions. Um, but, you know, there's... I don't know why. There's been some talk in high circles about whether they really should be a world ranking event because of the, the facility. Still, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if it was back at ASU when it was back in the day, that was perfect because you, you could stay at the dorms, you could stay at the Holiday Inn, you could, you know, grass field, you had the facilities, the campus right there. It was awesome. But, you know, while, while it's always very lucky to have a facility, this one's not world class. Yeah. You know, it's, sorry to say. I've never been a fan, and I'll just be critical of USA Archery right here because I usually don't hold back on them. They anyways. just did a big story about you today. They did, did you and you know that? what they did? Did you they see the butchered joke? the interview? Well, did you see the the? Yeah, well, I, I I read that and I'm like, that's not Steve. <laughs> there was Which some part? stuff in there that uh, we'll talk offline. <laughs> the part about who lent their hands? Because that was me. Nate was horrified when he read that. <laughs> Nate was horrified. Oh, that's funny. He's like, that's not funny. <laughs> that's really funny um no they you know that interview was there was a lot of gold in there and they did not mine it for what it was worth i'll just say that much and you know after the whole hbo thing with hbo editing up my my footage you're to starting make me to feel wary of the media aren't you i'm not doing crap for anybody anymore Ah, uh, come yeah. on i'm gonna come at them hard because mm. you know we get a lot of media requests as as archers <laughs> So, so to get the ones that you get, who wrote the story? 
Um, I don't know who ended up writing it, you know. Who did the interview? Uh, Emily B. was the one who interviewed me. Oh, I know Emily. She's a good kid. Yeah. I, I have the original copy of all the questions they asked me and my responses. Oh, so, so I'm going to air it. So there's been some editing. I'm going to personally air it on my page. You're going to do it on Facebook? Is that yeah. Steve Sooner Anderson later, Archery? Maybe. Steve Anderson Archery? Yeah. Or Big Cat Archery? Which one is Big it? Cat Archery. Big Cat Archery. Steve, if you Google, if you Facebook search Steve Anderson Archery, you'll find it. But And you're also on Twitter at? Steve Anderson 88. And Instagram, same, same. thing? Yep. Uh huh. So I'll, I'll get it up there when I feel the time is right. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll see how things go. I can't see you. I cannot see you uh, yelling at a sweet kid like Emily B. No, she's just her family is such such a nice bunch of people that I can't see you. You know, actually, you know, getting serious about. Oh yeah, no. Anything. Everything. The interview with her was was fine. You know, as whoever doctored it up after uh, that to make it sound like they wanted it to. I see. So, all right. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm sorry I brought it up. Well, actually, I'm not. Now we have, you know, controversy yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. She actually, she told me, like, yeah, we're going to have to, like, not include some of these answers. Yeah, I was critical of things, you know? I, I, uh, I was asked about. You're not shy about saying no, what you think. And I'm going to be critical right now. I was asked about the uh, equipment breakdown rule, equipment failure rule. And they said, you know, a lot now, of times. Are you talking for world archery here? Yeah. Yeah. He said, a lot of times you see people come to help those who have had an equipment failure. I said, yeah, you do. You know, people want to beat people on their best day. And if they can do something to help, they're not going to leave the guy stranded on like the side Like when of the Martin Damsbow loaned his backup bow to Braden Galantine when Braden's right. bow failed before a final. Yeah. What I then said was the equipment failure rule needs some revision because people take advantage of it in windy situations. Absolutely. Go, oh, it's really windy. Oh, my... My oh, equipment failure, my blade's bent. My clicker moved. Yeah. Oh, I, bl- I bent the blade back. We're I know all good some coaches go. who advise people to do that. Yeah. And I think it's some horse fooey. So I think there should be some sort of a, you know, if you, if you call equipment failure, you get one and done and maybe you lose a point. I don't know. Take something away. Mm-hmm. You got to, it's, I don't know. Until they change it, people will continue to abuse it. And it's gamesmanship. Maybe you don't consider it abusing it, you know? On the other we hand... We all might as well take advantage of it. On the other hand, there aren't too many people who thrive when they're put up there to make makeup arrows. Right. But right? I, I've seen it done. You know, I've seen it save four or five points on one of those arrows where, you know, you just may miss the target. It's so windy, and then you step up there, you know, you call... And you hope the cycle... Because the wind is cyclic, and you hope yeah. the cycle goes your way. You know it's not going to get worse. Well, know? as I said, I've seen I've seen coaches advising people to do this stuff you know and it seems to me it seems to me that you know uh it's borderline cheating all right it's it until well you know what it's not it's gamesmanship until they until they change the rule i said borderline yeah you know something else i saw this morning in lieu of the masters this week saw an interesting thing about uh you know people and and rules situations and blah 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 and um you know a couple years ago tiger woods had a a drop that was something happened and somehow you know it was he got screwed by the rules um i don't remember the full story and some guy said you know what that's just karma because like 10 years ago he took advantage of a situation they call it the loose impediment rule where you can remove loose impediment from around your ball well, in this case, the loose impediment was a 2,000-pound boulder sitting about a foot in front of his ball, and he had the crowd, <laughs> all these huge guys came out and helped him move it. 
you know so did he break the rule no did he take advantage of the rules yes so and you know what we we all should take advantage of the rules we all should until they are changed all right then any other rules that you think uh you want to say you want to you know what we Um, ought to do here's a here's a potential future podcast feature steve's rule of the week does, uh, well, yeah, I can probably find some. I'll bet you, you can. Know. We could probably get five weeks out of that. Okay. It, it may or may not be archery related. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. All right. All right. I got one for next week. Okay. Let's pick up this last piece of paper here. Um, it's the one I marked with the exclamation point. We don't want to get into this. It's titled The Elephant in the Room. So the writer of this knows who they are. <laughs> it's actually quite a... Uh, uh, a telling piece here because the the person's point is that Steve and I were beating around the bush on a particular topic and we're just not going to go there. No. 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 Yeah. There's controversy and then there's stuff you... Don't need to stir yeah, up. you don't need to poke the skunk. Don't need to poke the skunk. That's a good way to put it. Polecat, I think, is what that's called in, in England. That's what they call a skunk? I think so. Huh. So they know what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's it at this point. All right. End of show. Are we good? End of show. End of show.